Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Industry Insight Series brought to you by our partners, Science in Sport. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and today I'm joined by Science in Sports Director of Performance Solutions, James Morton. James, how's it going today? Very good, John. Yeah, it's great to be in the, the Leaders Studio. It's fantastic <laughs> surroundings, so great to be here. Well, it's good to have you here, and today we have a very special guest. It's a friend of both Leaders and Science in Sport, Jeremy Bettel, the Performance Director at Major League Soccer Champions New York City FC. As our listeners will hear, during the course of the interview, we spoke about the processes of adapting to a new role, the need to stave off complacency after winning, and any potential breakthrough moments when implementing change. But what really stood out for you, James, in that chat? Well, to be honest, John, there was lots of things that I could resonate with. I'm always fascinated by organizations that win because I, I like to win as well. So any little learnings about how people win is fantastic. But there was something towards the end of the conversation which really struck a chord with me. And that was when Jeremy mentioned about enjoying things and just enjoying the process. And I think for all of us who have worked in sport, I'm pretty sure that at some point in our journeys, we've almost forgot to enjoy ourselves because we've become preoccupied with the pressure of winning. And that really reminded me, you know, sport is about enjoyment. And if you can enjoy yourself you'll have more fun and you'll probably enhance the chance of winning anyway. So let's never lose sight of enjoying ourselves when we come to work every day. Very well said. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Jeremy, in today's discussion, we want to focus on the processes that support winning. In your first season as performance director for New York City FC, you had an unbelievable season and you've just come off the back of winning the MLS for the first time. Now, first of all, can you describe what that meant for the club, the players, the staff, and of course, the city? It was incredible. Like, honestly, the, the whole experience was just amazing. When you think that the CFG founded this club around seven years ago, you know, this was the first time that we'd, we'd progressed like that through the playoffs into that conference semi, that the conference final, and then to the finals. And, and so you, you really did get a sense from the people who had been there from the beginning uh, of this, this culmination of, of work that had gone into building the culture and, and building the, the team and the structures to support winning. Uh, and it, it really did feel like a culmination of all of that work. So it, you, you got that sense from everyone. And compared with some other teams, there was just such a strong sense of togetherness all the way through the playing squad, the staff, the coaches, the management, everybody felt like they were in it together. It, it was great for the whole organization. You know, it just, it really felt like we did it together, you know, and I think that that's what probably made it most special for me, you know, that feeling of, of working together for something as a group. And, and then for our fan base, you know, they, they've just been tremendous, you know, as, as you know, we don't have our, our own stadium. And so they, they support us wherever we go within the city. We play at a lot of venues. And, and so, you know, for them, I think it was real validation of, of their commitment to supporting the club. It was fantastic for them to, to be the first New York team to win a title in the last probably 10 years. Certainly beating uh, Red Bulls to the punch was nice for them. That <laughs> 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 probably made it a little extra special for them. So, yeah, I, I just think it was overall, it was, it was a wonderful experience. Jeremy, I know you've worked in, in multiple sports. In fact, I should say multiple team sports with your experiences in, in mm -hmm. rugby and the NBA and, and hockey and so on. And we often talk about the first 90 days in a new role. So mm -hmm. can you take us back to your first 90 days when you're in New York and, and how did it compare to your previous environments? 
How did you describe the culture and, and what were some of those early feelings that you had back in those early days? It's such a pivotal time frame when going into, into any club. And, and I think it's, it's a time frame that I haven't necessarily handled really well in the past. We tend to be very action-oriented you know, go in sport, you know, there's a lot of pressure to deliver results very fast. And so I certainly had a tendency to go in and immediately you start picking off that low hanging fruit, yeah. start making changes, start putting your system in place. And in other places, there's been pressure to deliver very quickly. I think that the contrast this time in, in my approach has been to, to take it slower and, and resist that urge to change things right away. Because I, I think what it's led to in the past is missing some of the really good stuff that's currently being done. Yes, yes. You know, everything doesn't need to be changed. And I think this time, you know, it's, I, I sort of broke it into 30, 60, and 90 days. Yeah. And the first 30 were, were pretty much just observation, just learning as much as I could about the sport, about the current culture of the club, about our current processes, you know, all of these, these things that had made the club as successful as, as they've been to this point. And then over the, the sort of 30 to 90 day time frame, just start slowly plugging in some of the, the parts of my philosophy and system, where they fit and where there were gaps within the current structure, starting with things that would have less direct impact on the player's day-to-day experience. You know, stuff they wouldn't necessarily notice was changing, whether it was menus or whether it was certain rehab protocols or communication processes, things like that. And then gradually starting to introduce things that would impact player experience, you know, on a daily basis. The the challenging part with that was coming in mid-season. Yeah. Or sort of early in the season. And so you don't want to disrupt too much of the player's routines. But where we could find spots to do that, we certainly did. And the players were fantastic with with change once it was sort of explained to them and why we were doing it and made it as as easy as for them as possible. And, and I think when things make sense to to the player, they'll they'll be on board with it, you know, but it, it's just an education piece really when you're asking them to change their behavior. Yeah. So it must have been quite a rewarding experience, Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the first time that, that I've won a, a major trophy, you know, in my career, which is 12 odd years in pro sport now you know we we were lucky enough to win uh, at uc santa barbara you know a big west tournament with basketball and we won a minor league title up in toronto which was very special but this was this one felt really big you know it felt like we really went and did something huge and so it just the reward for it, it feels like the reward for learning all these lessons over the last 12 to 15 years and, and getting to apply them in an environment where you, you felt that change was happening, you felt that people were all pulling in the same direction. So it was, yeah, really, really rewarding. And James, how does that chime with your experience of performance environments? I mean, how did you find it when adapting to new sporting environments? Well, I can resonate a lot with what Jeremy said, John. I was quite fortunate to work for Team Sky, the cycling team, who were very successful. And in my time there, they won the Tour de France five years in a row. But I say I was fortunate. Some people may say that I was unfortunate because when I went into cycling, it was a sport that I knew absolutely nothing about. And the reason why I say I was fortunate was then I went into that sport with no preconceived ideas. I had no biases about the sport. I had no expectations. 
And so much like Jeremy said, I, I approached it from a learning point of view. And I actively sought out mentors and, and members of the team and, and basically said to them, look, teach me everything. Teach me what you know about this sport. Teach me about cycling. Teach me about the logistics of the cycling world. But also like, teach me about the culture and, and tell me why things have happened the way they've happened over the years. And slowly but surely, as Jeremy said, you then start to pick off those little things that you can change. And again, to echo Jeremy's sentiments there about education, I'm a firm believer in education because obviously I'm from an educational background as well. But I, I often say that our job is teaching. And if you teach people the reasons why change is needed or why change might be better, and you get everyone on the bus, so to speak, then ultimately everyone starts pushing in the same direction. And I think that's what Jeremy's describing there, not just in his 12 months in New York, but the, the seven years before of everyone going in that same direction. And then finally, it's all culminated in, in winning the MLS. So congratulations once again. I, I find moving into the new sports probably the most stimulating. Yes, yeah. I've not actually worked in a sport I knew anything about, you know, since rugby. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a constant learning process for me. And, and I do, I think it, it offers you such a, an amazing opportunity to come in and give fresh insight. Yeah. You know, I, I think, yeah, I, I just, um, I think it's, it becomes really rewarding and stimulating. Yeah, I agree entirely. I, I think it's great to change sports. And in my experience, there's a lot of people, you see this in, in soccer a lot, actually, is, is they kind of get pigeonholed into the one sport and they stay there for their mm -hmm. whole career. But I, I often feel they stop mm -hmm. learning. And so changing yeah. sports for me, I think, is a great way to stay stay active and stay hungry so to speak mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but again to take you back to those early days of adapting to new york were there any specific processes that you went through to observe and learn i mean you know from chatting to me many times if i i love reflective practice as an example mm -hmm. how did you engage in reflection and shared learning and and so on yeah i, I think there was a couple of really good tools that centrally CFG were developing to capture observations within different pots, just areas of culture that they felt were really important. You know, as we're building out this cultural framework for, for City Football Group, they've done a really good piece of work around it. And so being able to capture my observations within those categories and, and sort of organize my thoughts and, and really be able to give direct feedback both to City Football Group as a fresh set of eyes into their New York team, as well as feedback to, to Dave Lee, our, our sporting director, on my observations within you know, his sporting department uh, in, in the organization. So, so that was a really big one, you know, yeah. really sort of a formal structured approach to evaluating a culture that I, I hadn't had that much structure previously to do that. So that, yeah, that was one that was really, really helpful. Yeah, I, th I think that's an interesting point, actually, just to really reiterate for the listeners is that New York doesn't exist in isolation. It's part of that wider mm -hmm. city football group. So you've mm -hmm. really pulled on that um, group learning, so to speak, then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, and that, that was one of the key attractions in, in coming here was being linked into a, a group, you know, where, where we, we have, you know, we, gosh, 11 teams now. And, and so that, that's just huge human resource and, and huge experience that, that's already learning that's already been done 
that I can draw on and, and I can bring in here and apply to our context where it's relevant. Yeah. And did you find yourself, Jeremy, spending more time almost in the background sorting processes and, and organizational behavior change? Or was it rather focusing on individual players? Because, of course, performance is about the individual players on the field. Yeah. And, you know, coming in to this team, I, I've been super fortunate that, that we've just got an unbelievable staff. Yeah. Uh, and so on an individual player basis, you know, Luke Cooper, our, our head of sports science, Jake Roswell, our, our performance coach, we're doing such a good job, you know, with the players individually that I, I felt like my job wasn't to come in and start interfering with, with their hands-on work. Yes. It was more to be in that sort of next level removed and how do we integrate what they're doing into the, the great work that our medical group are doing and and how do we link the two departments into to one process we also went through a process of of recruiting a new uh, medical hospital partner and so that was the first time we'd actually changed cmo you know in an, an entire hospital and and so guiding that process of first of all recruiting the right partner uh, but then also onboarding a full staff of physicians. And it, it's always amazing how wide that is. Everything from pediatrics with our academy all the way through, you know, making sure families uh, are taken care of, you know, for players moving into town. And so that there was a huge amount of process in the background that had to be done and, and still needs to be done. And, and so that, that sort of remains my ongoing work right now versus day to day in the weight room or in the medical room, you know, hands on. And when you think back, Jeremy, to the, the process of implementing change, at, mm -hmm. at what point did you feel that you were secure enough in the environment in order to have those conversations about implementing change? Because as you mentioned earlier, very early on in your career, you were probably too eager, but now you're obviously much more mature and strategic. And so mm -hmm. when did you feel was the right time to flick the switch and introduce change, so to speak? I, I had sort of given sort of a fair warning that around 30 days we would start addressing some stuff. Yeah. Um, that would be when I did my initial feedback to, to the staff and to the management. And so that would be that initial stage. So I'd, I'd sort of prepped people that it would be coming at some point. Yeah. And, I, and I think coming in as the first performance director for the club, they they knew that there would be some something would change. I always say everyone's always excited for someone else to change. <laughs> and so it's always quite difficult when you actually deliver that to, to the person who has to, to change. But it, it basically it came after we've, we'd had a series of one-on-one -on -one meetings with all of the staff. Around that 30-day mark was when I felt like, okay, I've seen enough. We've seen a couple of rehab processes. I've seen a couple of you know, big performances and, and gone through a, a good spectrum of processes that we could start saying, okay, here's where I see gaps in, in what you're doing. Here's where I think that we can start making changes. But then the whole time I, I framed it as I need us to make this change, to make this our department and our process, not my process, not my change that we're making. And, and so here's what I think. How does that fit in? You know, is that going to be a process that works in the context? And so us guiding that, that change together 
where everybody sort of had a bit of ownership versus a lot of times in the past I've come in with my system, you know, yeah. and, and what I think is the best strategy versus, you know, really making it ours. Yeah. So it was very much a process of collaboration to build a new mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And what about you, James? How did that look when you went into Team Sky, for example? You must have been very eager to implement change as well, but how did you actually approach that, working with everyone within the team? Well, again, John, I was very fortunate because I went in at the back end of 2014, the start of 2015, and the team actually hadn't won the Tour de France the season before. So I was almost one of those appointments that was brought in to make the changes. The team was very much ready for change. It had almost come to the end of the first chapter, so to speak, and it was now in chapter two of the team's life cycle. But I do always say that Team Sky was an organisation where change was happening all the time. It was embedded in the culture. And I, I actually found that one of the most challenging things when I started there, to be honest, because I'd come from the Premier League in England and I didn't feel that the Premier League had that. Football in general, I don't want to generalise, but... I often say, and Jeremy might resonate with this, is that I think football or soccer can get quite content with how they do things. I don't want to say complacent, but I would say content. Team Sky was totally different because every single day you were constantly talking about what can we do better tomorrow. And so when I first went in, I found that quite challenging. I was like, let me get through today first before I start talking about tomorrow. But slowly but surely, I came to love it. And I, I absolutely embraced it. I couldn't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. And when I go into other organizations now, I, off, I, can, I can sense as soon as I walk in, is this an organization that embraces change or is it one that is kind of frightened of change? Mm-hmm. And I do see, and my opinion is the most successful organizations are the ones who embrace change and who constantly welcome it rather than perceive it as threatening. And I think that's what Jeremy's really alluding to now in New York, is that's the culture that's emerging. Yeah, I, that does resonate a, a huge amount. And it, it's not just football. Like every sport that I've gone into, they, they have their very deeply entrenched traditions, you know, and, and it's, it's run by football people. The staff are generally football people, you know, and, and name the sport. It doesn't matter. I'm just using football as an example. And it was something I was going to ask you, uh, James, on, on your cycling experience, because I've been talking to a, a number of motorsport teams, and it, it seems like there is more of a, a change mindset, more of a how do we make the car go faster? Yeah. And you're talking to engineers at this point who very fact-driven, very objective, whereas I, I think in, in team sport, we're, we're dealing with human beings, not to say that the engineers aren't human beings, but <laughs> but it, it's a it, it seems more personal to them. Was that the same going into cycling? You know, with it being almost like like again a physics project. It was to a certain extent, Jeremy, and, and I would agree. I would say the sports where you can measure performance, generally, in my experience, are the ones that are closer to innovation because mm. they're always looking for new innovations, whether that's technology, equipment, processes and so on, whereas the team sports are probably have less of an innovation mindset because I think performance is harder to measure. And mm. so therefore, the return of investment when it comes to measuring performance for the amount of time and effort that you put in can often be harder to measure. But having said that, my experiences in Team Sky as well was 
Yes, it was a sport that embraced innovation, but a lot of its innovation was around people management. And so they were constantly innovating. How do we manage people? How do we lead people? Um, and so it was all, it was really about mm. people first and then kind of performance second. The two of them were really integrated, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. And I, I've, I've really seen that, you know, where the justifications around making change and innovating in team sport, you know, in, in an established sport like soccer, where performance is already so high and it's, it's high within a very good group and, and there's not much external pressure outside of football to get better, right? It's, so it's very interesting yeah. to try and start measuring and quantifying how we're impacting with, with our introduction of nutrition, with our uh, sort of more integrated approach to rehab. So, yeah, it's really interesting. When you look back at the season as a whole, Jeremy, was, was there any breakthrough moments where you felt like things are really changing here and the processes that we've introduced are now starting to actually impact people's behaviours or impact performance on the pitch? Or was it more of a gradual progression? Yeah, I think there were a couple of moments where we, we really came together as a team, you know, and were able to bring our data together and clean up some sort of chronic injuries for players. Yeah. You know, and, and those were really exciting moments when the team start all looking at one another's data and pulling out different pieces on how we might find a different way to solve, for example, a calf issue. That's the point that's breaking down. It's not necessarily that that's the cause of it, right? So when we start looking at complex problem solving, that's when I, I sort of know we're on the right track. And then, you know, the, the work that we did on, on nutrition with science in sport, and you start seeing some of the performances that our, our senior players who, who went through some interventions were, were putting out that were just like massive numbers on, on our GPS. But then I think the really big turning point for our team was we, we went through a, a tough period and we really started focusing on that human factor Yeah, and, and really started putting a big emphasis on on enjoying our, our ride, you know, just enjoying our, our processes and our season and, and and worrying less about the result and more on the performance and, and about enjoying our time together. And that was for me when it really all started coming together where all of these, the processes, the interventions, something clicked as a group where they started really becoming, you know, becoming apparent on the field. It's a great point. And I'm sure a lot of listeners who are experienced in sport would probably look back on their career and, and wish they had have enjoyed the journey a little bit more mm -hmm. rather than worrying about the outcome so much. And I, I think you're right. When you reflect back on those times when winning is done, quite often it's because there was an enjoyability factor that was just, there was a buzz in the air mm -hmm. and everyone was enjoying themselves and just enjoying being there rather than worrying about winning. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of lessons for a lot of sports and, and wider organisations to really, really implement that it's about having fun, first of all, isn't it? And if you can get yeah. that right, quite often good things will follow suit. Mm -hmm. James, did you have a moment, perhaps with Team Sky, where the penny just dropped? You implemented some kind of new process and it just became a cultural norm and you could actually see that change happening before your eyes. There was many moments, John, to be honest, but I guess if, if there was one specific moment that that springs to mind, which kind of summarizes my journey, if you like. It was probably back in 2018 when, when Chris from, he won a, the Giro d'Italia, which is the Tour of Italy. He was three minutes, 22 seconds off the lead with pretty much one day left of racing. So the race had kind of been over. But what happened on that day was that Chris basically went off and attacked 
with 80 kilometers left to go. So then he was riding on the front by himself. A huge ride, huge physical output. And nutrition played a big role in that particular uh, win. It was kind of like the Liverpool-Barcelona Champions League game. You know, when you're getting beat 3-0 and you come back and win 4-3, that was the scale of the comeback. And, and straight after that win, Eurosport actually came to interview Sir Dave Brailsford, our team principal. And Dave was quite upfront talking about the role that nutrition played. And that victory really culminated probably three or four years worth of work because we had got to the stage where riders were actually weighing out all their own foods, correcting how much they needed, correcting me, telling me, no, I need more today. So they were weighing out more foods. Everyone in the whole team was behind the role of nutrition and influencing performance. And so the riders, the staff, almost 30 people all bought into that delivery of the nutritional strategy at that time. And that really symbolized to me actually that the, the detail towards nutrition in particular had went from here to here and it was having a meaningful performance impact. But that moment was the culmination of lots of individual different moments, kind of like what Jeremy had suggested. And the, the output for me was really the collaboration, everyone coming together. So similar to Jeremy, when you're dissecting causes of injuries and rehabilitation programs, it's the buy-in. If you get people around the table contributing to the conversation, then you know that you've got everyone. And quite often that's the successful part. You look for that collaboration and excitement and then you know, wow, we're changing things here, I think. Jeremy, I just wanted to ask you, we all know that winning again in sport is probably the hardest thing. But what processes have you gone through in this off-season to review the process of winning and what did you learn from that experience? Are there any specific areas you are focusing on again this season to improve? It was really interesting winning so quickly. For me, frankly, it, it actually didn't change anything about my plan to develop this, this off-field program. I think it was a byproduct of a lot of work that was done before I got here. But one of the, the pitfalls is that we think we won because we did everything right. And I don't think we, that, that was the case. I don't think what we were doing was, was perfect yet. You know? And so for me, it was keeping that in mind that we still had work to do. And we'd implemented some change but by no means six to eight months in where we the finished article as a human performance department, right? So I, I think keeping some humility about where we actually were in our change process versus what the, the organization achieved, that was very important. And, and then I, I did a, a little project for the organization in the off season on interviewing and, and having a series of meetings with teams and organizations from other sports who were serial winners from um, Mercedes Formula One to Canterbury Crusaders, the All Blacks, and having these conversations around how they were repeating success. That was a really powerful one for me, you know, just to reiterate some of the things we were doing well, you know, like we, we became a very process oriented organization, that constant challenge of, of what can we do better, what can we improve every year, regardless of the outcome, you know, and a, a real clinical uh, assessment of, of how we performed within our processes, you know, whether we won or lose, you know, I, I think those were the, the really important things that we, we're taking into this year, uh, as well as our language that we're used, using to avoid complacency. You know, we, we don't talk about winning last year. You know, the, the worst thing we could do is keep walking around talking about how successful we were last year. And, and so just having that language of that we're not champions this year, 
you know, we, we still have work to do this year. We still have to win this year. The challenge is probably going to be greater because, you know, everybody wants to beat the, the reigning champions. And so the, those are some of the things that I think um, are playing into to this year and, and developing the, the team and the process. And what about you, James? You were part of a team that won the Tour de France five years in a row. I mean, that's pretty emphatic, but I'm sure it's not as easy as it might sound to some people. What was the hardest part for you? Well, it, it definitely got harder every year, that's for sure, because you're always looking for the, those little gains that can help you win. But Jeremy touched upon, upon it there when he mentioned complacency. I don't feel like complacency is the big enemy. I think it's contentment. I, I mm. think any, any of us who work in sport, we're all driven, hungry people. So I don't think we become complacent. I think we can maybe become content because what you've done has, has made you win. And so then you get a little bit content and, and then you stop pushing for those gains. So I think the biggest challenge is safeguarding against contentment rather than complacency. But to go back to your question, John, we, we used to love the performance reviews, much like Jeremy's went through in the off season. And the, the devil's in the detail. If you like really drill into all of your processes, all of your performance outcomes, and really, really hone in and look hard where you can make improvements, I'm pretty sure you'll improve. Even if you just improve one thing, it increases the chances of getting better. And sometimes it's about reflecting on almost changing the question. So rather than how will we win again? It might be, how would, how would a team go about beating us? How can we be beaten? If you, were to, if you were to race against us or to compete against us, how would you go about beating us? And then it creates another, another thought process in your brain. Mm -hmm. It's just another way of thinking of the same question. But it can lead to so many interesting um, outcomes. And uh, some of the conversations were fantastic to be involved in. But it was just a real reflective time. And if you have that thirst, enthusiasm, and always try and safeguard against contentment, you'll always improve. I'm convinced you will always improve. Well, gentlemen, I think that's a great place to begin wrapping things up. Thank you both so much for your insights this afternoon, this morning in your case, Jeremy. Thank you both very much. <laughs> thank you, Jeremy. Good luck for the rest of the season, the new season, I should say. Yeah, th thank you both very much. It's been, uh, been a pleasure chatting. Mm -hmm.